The question is this. What have I been doing? Everybody says to me, hey, you don't do the show anymore. What do you do? I'll tell you what I do. Nothing. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Hey, yo, happy Thursday morning. Ian, it's becoming a thing. What, what were you doing the past two weeks? Everybody's asking. Absolutely working. That's what I've been doing. It is becoming a thing. I think we just need a break every once in a while. And the end of the year seems to be that time of year for us. So sorry if we've been gone so long, Dan. But we're back. My main focus over the last two weeks, Ian, has been thinking about this Singapore event that we're throwing in February. It was your idea, basically, but then you gave all the work to me. Does that sound yeah. familiar? You're like, you know how much work this is going to be? I'm like, well, not really for me, but... I've been working hard on it. I've been getting really curious, you know, about questions like Mark Cuban asked in a YouTube video I was watching over the last few weeks. It's called, what should the average investor do with $50,000? And I thought it would be cool for us to pull some clips out of his rant about, he's saying, buy and hold strategies are a crock of you know what, and get the response for what should the entrepreneur do with $50,000. And I figured you'd be game for it, Ian, because I know you've been looking into some real estate there in the Austin area. Well, I'm just game to talk about this stuff all the time. I love thinking about this, so let's get into it. And at the end of the episode, if you are interested in wealth, wealth management, I'm going to give some more details on that Singapore event, Ian. So towards the end of the episode, we'll circle back to that. buy and hold is a crock of something. Right. I can't remember exactly. Yeah, Shinola. Yeah. Uh, and, and you said that portfolio balancing is a waste of time. So what are John and Sally Doe supposed to do? Depends how much money you have, right? So the best way to get a return, let's just say you have $50,000 in cash. It could be 10, it could be 100. But, you know, let's use 50. First thing I would do is pay off all your credit cards because that's costing you 18%. That's what John and Sally should do first. Most don't, right? There's more credit card and student loan debt um, relative to personal income than there's ever been in the history of the United States. The context of all these answers we're going to give you, and just to remind everybody, is that we're not talking about the average investor. You know, the average investor might be somebody that's spending 14 hours a day behind a morbidly drill press, you know, trying to get time and a half, trying to put away that <laughs> money. They don't got a lot of time to think about the stuff. The entrepreneur, you know, what we're looking to do with our cash is to free up the time to look at opportunities for maximizing. So I just wanted to clarify that. The credit card debt thing is interesting because I got to admit, one of the things I did was I saved up $10,000 before I paid down my credit balances because I wanted to make sure that I didn't have to go back to a job. I remember the moment that I hit the pay button on that $10,000 balance. And I didn't do it until I had 10000 in reserve because I was scared that if I paid off my credit cards early, I would be one disaster away from having to go get a job. And I was so confident that if I just had another six months to work on my business that I would make it work. Do you think I made the right call? 
I think you made the right call for sure. And like Cuban said, all this stuff is very contextual and it has a lot to do with how much money we're talking about. So, you know, we're talking about $50,000 in, in being an entrepreneur. And I think you were right to save up a little bit of money. So you had to make sure that you didn't go back to a job. It was worth that 20% to you. I see a lot of entrepreneurs these days still not paying off their student loans because they're at a much lower rate generally. And you feel like you can deploy that cash in meaningful ways that you Better can earn than the yourself. Better 3.4% Exactly. Whatever. You got to do that math. Now, in the case of the credit cards, like, you know, it can be crippling when you've only got $10,000 and you've got 20% interest on a $20,000 balance or something like that. It can be crippling, you know? So you got to figure out a payment plan to start paying down on some of the principal on that. But I think you're right to say, hey, my main motivation here is to work on the trajectory of the rest of my life or maybe the next 20 years. And that's getting to the point where I don't have to have a job again. That's way more important than that 20%. One of the things that I think is an interesting mindset dichotomy between when you have a job and when you're an entrepreneur is when you're an entrepreneur, you're sort of planning on a future that you can't predict. And when you're an employee, it's almost like you're thinking, well, I remember thinking this, like, well, I'm going to be doing this for the next five years anyway. So I might as well. That's a great distinction to make because I think that's what draws a lot of people to their 401ks and that draws a lot of people into putting their money into the market, you know? It's like, well, I'm going to be living in this city for the next 30 years anyways. I'm going to be working a job for the next 30 years. I may as well invest in these kinds of things. I'm going to be driving to this job for the next five years, so I better get a car that's going to get me there safe. You know what I mean? That kind of, quote, investments. I think are very common, whereas I guess saving that $10,000 was the first time and I was like, hey, I have no idea what's going to happen. So I just got to make sure I can survive and get through it. Right. And that's why these traditional investment vehicles in a lot of different ways are great for that. You know, that's exactly the strength and the weakness that they play on at the same time. It's like, hey, you're going to be doing it anyways for 30 years. Just put it in there and you can look at the graph and it's been going up for the last 55 years or whatever it is. And you'll be good. Hey, Ian, let me, let me play this next clip for you. Mark brings up an interesting point about the transactional value of cash. Second thing you do is you use the transactional value of cash. A lot of people say, you know, you're losing money to inflation when you just have cash in the bank. I completely disagree. I can, you know, I know I'm going to be buying a bunch of toothpaste for my family. I know toilet paper. I know all the consumables that I have. I can take my cash and go get a better value. I can take my cash and go buy stuff. store up? Yeah. Yeah, why not? I mean, how much space does toothpaste take, you know, but you're going to spend. <laughs> but that's the whole thing. The time it takes just to figure out your budget, yeah. which nobody does. The time yeah. it takes just to analyze your spending habits, you can get a better return and you'll end up with more cash than trying to fight the, the John Paulsons of the world and these guys who, who have hundreds of analysts who are working for them. Why would you try to do better than them? And there's a couple things that jumped out at me about this. First of all, like the toothpaste thing, like I think belittles the point a little bit because I don't, I can't imagine myself stocking up on anything like that. Like I can't buy like future MacBooks or whatever. <laughs> yeah, there's not a lot of things where you sit around and you think like, okay, what can I put my cash into? Because I, I guess what he's saying here is the transactional value of cash. Well, in essence, you have to trade your cash for something. So it's not cash anymore. And he's using the toothpaste analogy because it's still going to be good. But in your and my life, there's not a lot of things that we can cash in on today that we're actually going to use, you know, five years from now. Let's parse the two points. The first point is like the time you'll spend figuring out your budget. And I think what he's saying is like, if you utilize the flexibility that cash gives you, then you can save 20% every year. So why are you going to risk your money and get a 20% return? 
I'm a little bit more curious about the transactional value of cash. Let me give you a scenario. I mean, let's say you walked into the Hilton in 2007, you hit a puddle, you slipped, you banged up your tibia, and you got a $50,000 payoff, okay? Pretty nice move. All things said, you can still walk, you got 50 grand. You got two options. You can, quote, try to beat inflation and put it into the marketplace, or you could, quote, utilize the transactional value of cash. So fast forward, what's five years later, 2012, you take that money out. I mean, I guess you can do like backdated analysis of this, but you know, is it feasible to think that you've made significantly more money than your 50 grand? I mean, depending on what you did during the downturn in 2008, you could have less. But either way, the point is, is that you're giving away your money, you're risking the money in order to hopefully, quote, beat inflation. Think about the alternative. What if you hung on to that 50 grand? I can tell you a story where, you know, that transactional value can be quite high. When we got into a sticky situation with our third partner, it was the fact that we had cash on hand immediately that allowed us to create a good deal. We couldn't have predicted that, in other words, in 2007 when you slipped on the Hilton floor, right? That that was gonna have that transactional value. So it's this other idea of like not understanding precisely what's gonna happen in the future. Yeah, and being flexible. You know, if you took that money and you put it in the market and you had to take it out because you had to buy your third partner out in 2008 or 2009, you'd be screwed, right? Because that money would be half what it was worth when you slipped and fell. Now, if you happen to buy your partner out in 2012 or 14, you know, you probably have done all right since then. So it would have worked out. But there's a big question in timing there. Staying flexible, I think, for entrepreneurs is really important, especially when we're talking about your first $50,000. You can do so much with that money. The idea that you're going to, as an entrepreneur, you're going to make 10% on that money over three or four years, you know, that's great. I think that that's phenomenal for a lot of people that have a job. But there's an opportunity cost is what you're getting at here to having that money tied up. By definition, you can't see what's coming. So I have a friend, we've literally gotten arguments about this point, livid by the fact that, let's say for the sake of this episode, that there's $50,000. You know what a lot of people think you should do with that is go out and get a quarter million dollar mortgage. People think that, right? Like you should go dump that money into a hard asset like a house, you leverage it to get the mortgage, or maybe you know an apartment complex in a bad neighborhood or whatever, and then be fixing the thing for the next 10 years. Honestly, like this is one strategy that exists and people say that, but if we would have taken that strategy, we wouldn't have been able to get the deal of a lifetime when it comes along. You just can't see it coming. So a lot of times it's like, what can you see versus what can't you see? Or maybe it's yeah. a better idea to ask yourself, what can only you see? And to that point, let me play this final point. But if you have enough money that you have to put some of it somewhere to park some of it somewhere and hope to make a return on it, where do you put it? You know what I do? I don't, I don't think you have to make a return on it because I'd rather sleep well at night. You know, I put it in cash, literally. Now, obviously, I'm in a different position where I'm, I don't have to live off of the interest paying me one basis point off of right. cash, right? But at the same time, the, having that dry powder, if you will, available when weeks like today or weeks like this week hit and days like yesterday and today And happen, you see an opportunity. And you see an opportunity, then you're ready to take it. So Ian, do you have any like dry powder moments in your life? One of the things I think about is our inventory. I mean, we take a lot of our dry powder and we put it into an investment that's, it's like a private stock investment, you know, like we should uh, maybe make stocks out of that and sell our inventory off to other people. That could be a 
What do you think about that as a way to... Yeah, I mean, we make better <laughs> money on our inventory than we would in the market. You remember like early on in our business, our inventory turns were completely different. What happens with these small hard goods product businesses is that they do become like an individual stock market for the owner. So depending on what owner profile you have, like I have a friend who owns a hard goods company, happens to be a very wealthy person. And his inventory turn is like once a year. Whereas when you look at a lot of smaller e-commerce stores, they're turning their inventory four times a year. It's this idea of like you're willing to squeeze out those marginal percentage points by never being out of stock because you don't have a better investment to make. Yeah, I think Cuban's point here is, I don't know, it'd be interesting to ask him this question, like depending on his level of wealth. Like right now, he's like totally comfortable not investing it and keeping it in cash and maybe losing a couple of percentage points a year to inflation. I wonder if that was his strategy when he was first starting off. I mean, I really like a lot of his ideas, but it's the same way that I wonder if he'd be like so pro-American business and, and supporting the American economy and keeping your money only in American dollars if he started off trading in Hong Kong. You know, it's totally situational. What do you think if you had your 50 grand and you just took a few months off and just trolled the business broker boards? I mean, you know a lot of business brokers. Do you think you could find a good asset with good timing if you were just constantly watching these listings go up and down like at Empire Flippers and at Flippa and places like that? Yeah, I think that you probably could for sure. Are we just talking about like, are you going to spend the money or are you going to keep the money? I'm just thinking about this idea of having that dry powder, you know, like how valuable is it? Like you could find somebody that just needs that 25 grand like tomorrow and they're willing to part with a really good asset because they got something more immediate going on. Both what Cuban and the moderator are talking about and comes up a couple different times is like when you see it, when you see it. And I think that that's really important here is like when you see it, you need to have the available funds to deploy and to make a good investment, hopefully a good investment move. So I think the bottom line for me in all this, Dan, is to stay flexible, especially with your first $50,000. I mean, there's not a lot that you can do to turn that money into something very meaningful in the next two or three years in terms of like the market or some of these traditional investment vehicles. But there are things that you can do like you said, like buying a distressed asset, buying your partner out, funding something that has explosive growth opportunity. But the idea here is to just stay flexible with it. All right. And so final question then, if you had 50 grand, your first 50 grand, what would you do with it? Well, I do exactly that, man. I would just stay flexible. And I think that we've had this impulse at every kind of income level that we've been at, Dan, in the last couple of years. And the impulse is to spend the money. If you have the impulse to spend the money, no matter if it's $50,000 or $100,000, I think my advice is to make sure that you're spending on an asset, something that's going to provide future value for you. Don't spend it on things that are going to decrease in value. My advice would be to invest in yourself. You know, sleep well, as Mark Cuban said, start a customer funded business. I don't think investing yourself means hire a development firm in India or Eastern Europe to build your great idea. I think it means getting yourself in a position where you're around good people that are doing the types of things you want to do. Start building your asset yourself. Have your customers fund it. That's what I would do with 50 grand. I'd invest in myself, you know? So maybe that's back to the average investor too. Like if you're at the Morbidelli drill press and you've got the 50 grand, I actually don't go to the market with that. I quit my job, live off of as little as possible and start a customer funded business. I think that that's the ultimate investment. Speaking of investments, Ian, I want to share with you some of the details of the Singapore thing that I've been working on because I want to prove to you that I've actually been doing something over the holiday season. This is 
one of the hardest events that we've put on, I think, in a lot of ways because I came up with the idea and then I dumped it on your lap. So that makes it hard. And then the second thing is we're trying to launch this thing during the holidays, which isn't super smart on our part because I know that people are busy. But here's the good news. We've got a great group of people coming already. And I really feel like this content and what we talked about today, Dan Norris in the DC just started a thread on how do you invest outside of your business. These are the kinds of topics that we're going to be talking about. These are the kinds of things that we want to focus on. And I think that having these conversations now with this small select group of people is really going to be interesting because I think we're going to be able to track with each other, create new investment opportunities potentially, and see where we're at a couple of years down the line. All this is going to be at tropicalmba.com slash investing. Uh, we'll have links to the event and you can read more about it. But I'll show you the vision because, yeah, you did dump it on my plate. We wanted to have uh, requirements. So we wanted to make sure that everybody coming is willing to share their knowledge. So an openness requirement, willingness to be secretive. So sign an NDA. That's another thing. We want to make sure that people, when they're in a sharing environment, can feel safe. You know, the other thing is that you have to have a certain level of success. So we want to make sure that people have some kind of experience and some kind of track record while they're sharing. You know, we don't want just people. Some kind of skin in the game. Some kind, yeah. yeah, we don't want people just uh, theorizing, although that's nice from time to time. We want people that have had the level of success that we're seeking. And we've got those requirements pretty much spelled out. This is going to be a small event. So I actually like visualize. I went into the room. It's going to be a very big boardroom sort of setup and everybody's going to be sharing together. We have presenters on things like international tax and finance and operating software businesses at scale and lots of interesting topics from successful people. It's going to be cool. I don't know. I'm picking out the dinner locations. We're at a five-star hotel in Singapore. I don't know. It's kind of this idea of let's get really good people together in an open sharing environment and see what comes of it. This is definitely a first for us, Dan, and I can't wait to see where these conversations go. I got a review to read, and I also have a quick tip, or what do you call it? Something that I won't use in six months? Yeah, something Dan doesn't use in six months. All right, well, let's get into the review, and then we'll go on to your tip that you won't use in six months. This song is actually pretty cool. It's uh, featuring ASAP Rocky, but the reason I found this song was this Animal Drift Style team. Pretty sick. Put the video up on the blog there. Check it out. Yeah, the first thing and I saw when I saw it is I recognized it the first moment. And I was like, that's Carlsbad. Like, that's where yeah. we used to hang out, man. Yeah, these guys are like drifting through the parking lot in Irvine or Carlsbad or whatever. And yeah, that's the parking exactly. lots that we used to hang out in dreaming about growing a business. So that's pretty yeah. crazy. That's pretty cool. All right, passion, 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 five stars. I started listening to these guys based on some misguided guidance from a friend, and it has started to change my life. Dan and Ian are two stellar individuals that took me from constantly thinking and seeing ways to start a business to finally giving me the inspiration to do it. There are so many times while listening that the aha light bulb comes on because of the pure amount of firsthand info these guys dish out. I started listening to them from podcast one and have watched them evolve and look forward to meeting them in the coming days. Well, don't worry. If you meet us, you might not think we're so stellar. So just <laughs> be prepared for that. All right. I got a quick tip. Are you ready for it, Ian? I'm going to change the home screen of your iPhone. That's my goal with this whole thing. All right. I got this quick tip from Jody Ettenberg from LegalNomads.com. She is great on the social medias. And I always get good tips and advice from her. And she knows that I love Twitter. I know you do too, Ian. But you mentioned actually that you've been getting a little bit less out of Twitter lately. And here's a way that you can get a lot more out of it. It's called Nuzzle. And essentially what it does is it 
amends your Twitter stream at your Nuzzle stream. So it's a separate app and a separate web app. And it basically says, you know what? Not all tweets are created equal for you, Ian. I know that certain tweets are more popular. They get retweeted by your followers more. And so we're going to put those up at the top as a top news item. You can see it either on an app or you can get email dispatches or you can go to the web app. It's really cool. For those of you who are frustrated, you know, like there's too much stuff going on on my Twitter. You just want to see the best stuff. Nuzzle will do it for you. All right. I'll check it out and hopefully use it after six months from now. <laughs> All right, boss man. Thanks for joining us. This one's at tropicalmba.com slash investing. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.